And it was interesting. We finally did see a news article after we came back. Phoenix has actually starting to implement slowing down their growth because they are recognizing they don't have enough water to continue to sustain the growth of the path that they were on. Sherlock here for Franklin Mattis, Franklin Public Radio, anywhere on the internet, WFPR.FM, and in the local Franklin Mass area, FM dial in the car, in the home, anywhere you are, 102.9. Here today with another Making Sense of Climate session, and it's been a bit. Ted, welcome back. How are you doing? Good, Steve. How are you? As I say, it's been a minute, but uh, here we are. Things, uh, every, the, the worm has turned and we're back. Huh? You know, we, we try to get away from this, try to distract ourselves with other things, you know, family events, travel here and there, and we just can't avoid climate. It's it's around us almost every time we turn. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And in some cases, the headlines are getting scarier and scarier. Well, there's a bunch of scary headlines uh, but for, on, on a personal note, I had the, over this last period, I've had the good fortune to, to fly. I was in Italy. Okay. Italy. And climate sin, right? I, f- I flew over there. I had yeah. my, you know, sort of one flight for the year kind of thing, but mm-hmm. we were there and it rained every day a lot. And even the, the local people, well, to the extent that I could understand things, we're saying this is really weird, right? That this and and it's a climate 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 issue in that the you know the jet stream gets set up because of the because of the extra heat and then it just gets locked in and keeps mm-hmm. pumping the, either hot or rain or cold or whatever. But there were we were we were near Venice and there were floods in northern Italy where people were dying yeah. and the river through we went to Florence the river through Florence there were people in Florence, kayaking on the river, the Arno, I guess it's called, right? Arno, and yeah. and they're, they're kayaking because the, the flow is so high. Wow. And it's just, you know, so I mean, it's like it touch, climate touches everything, even when, you're, uh, mm-hmm. even when you're trying to get away from it. Yeah, no, and we were, we took a trip out to one of those, you know, uh lifelong i I want to see the grand canyon so we flew into phoenix got up to sedona got to see grand canyon got to see monument valley bryce canyon zion and we finished in las vegas and clearly phoenix for people if they haven't been it's expanding it's continuing to grow continuing to grow las vegas the name itself comes from the water source that they had that dried up many, many years oh, really? ago. <laughs> really, really? <laughs> They're totally dependent upon the Colorado River, et cetera. And that's a big discussion out there because clearly when you go to Lake Mead, in order to get to your boat, which was docked at Lake Mead and, you know, nice, you know, 10 foot off the shore. Now it's like a quarter mile because the the lake has dropped so much uh lake powell the lake has dropped so much it's just and they don't do kind of tours up the canyons because the water level has yeah. dropped so much just remind me steve the, the lake mead and lake powell are man-made lakes man-made the, lakes two separate ones yeah from the from the damming of the colorado river and the colorado river of course is this infinitely famous southwest american thing that goes from 
what the Rockies all the way down in Los Angeles or something. Right? Uh, it and goes it's, into it's, the, the California Baja. Yeah, it's 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 uh, and it is drying up. I guess that's that's the well. The, headline the other there piece, is, it's going I started, away. I started looking. You know, it's like okay, how far does it go? So yeah, that's how far it goes. It goes to Baja, California, and the flow by the time it gets to California is almost not insignificant because it's been diverted in so many ways. And the Supreme Court and other agencies have been, you know, wrestling on a bunch bunch of legal matters because everybody's trying to drink from the straw. Everybody needs more because they're growing and they got to come to an agreement. And it was interesting. We finally did see a news article after we came back. Phoenix has actually starting to implement slowing down their growth because they are recognizing they don't have enough water to continue to sustain the growth path that they were on. Um, that is a good step, but that doesn't necessarily help address of the growth that's already underway, the growth yeah. that's out there, and, and the lack of water that already exists. Lack of water that already exists, right? I mean, I mean, this. So, I there was a book that I have started called The Water Knife. I, I put it down because it was too too upsetting. But basically, it's set in some dystopian future where right. there's no water. Right. And, and what's Los Angeles going to do if the Colorado River goes mm-hmm. dry and all these, I mean, it's going to lead to deep societal conflicts, right? Oh, that, sure. that people fighting over water and it's, um, I mean, it, it, right now we can kind of cluck and say, oh yeah, isn't it terrible the Colorado River's drying up? But pretty soon that's going to be a life and death situation for people. Right. And it is, a hint of the kinds of things that are happening again, not to get too, too, you know, profit of doom kind of thing. But I mean, this is, this is a real thing. It's happening now. It's like, we please pay attention. Recognize it. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, even in new England, of course, with the headlines recently, the torrential rains plus that went through Vermont, the, the capital is flooded. Yeah. It's going to take years for Montpelier to come back to being a functioning city. It's going to take months for some of the residents to get their lives back to order if they choose to do that there. Um, yeah, it's, it's funny. You wouldn't think that Vermont is a particularly vulnerable climate place from a climate perspective. Interior, absolutely. It's interior. Yeah. But what happens is that if the the storms tend to bring more water. Again, prediction of climate change. Warmer air holds more water. You get more rain. Things slow down. Again, prediction of climate change. The weather patterns move more slowly. And Vermont is, of course, mountainous. The green mountains, right? Mm-hmm. And all those valleys collect the water, and it goes rampaging through. And there you have all these these issues. And so nine years ago, Irene right? Remember, yeah, I can't believe it, nine years. it seemed like yeah. just yesterday, but I mean, that was this horrible thing and now we're re- redoing it. And that's just one example of multiple things that are happening. And Texas has been broiling. There is, there is a report. I just wanted to mention, there's a report that says, I think it was July 3rd was the hottest day ever recorded. We'll come back to what that means in a minute. And then July 3rd was then July 4th beat it. I think there was, it ended up being what, seven or eight days in a row? In a row. And if, and, and, and the folks put out a, a map, which is basically not a map, a chart, which is days of the year across the bottom and temperature on the vertical axis. Yeah. Right. So you get this kind of big bell shaped curve 
July is in the middle, it's the hottest. And they have each year, you can plot overlapping and lots and lots of years that are all kind of grayed out. And then 2023 is, you know, separated. And now, wanted to be sure to note that people can and are shooting at this hottest day ever recorded because the headlines are somewhat confusing. It's a place in Maine, good faith, uh, academic place in Maine that uses models and does this prediction in real time, right? Because like NASA and NOAA, they do it on a monthly basis that the mm -hmm. average temperature on a monthly or a year, they don't say, oh, yesterday was the hottest day on the globe, right? Because right. Yeah. how do you even get all that information in the in one place, you yeah. know, in, in, to, to do, but they are able to use models and make these predictions. And the, the recorded history that they're referring to is, I think it's like 44 years. Mm -hmm. right? So it's not, not that long back, but then it gets, there are other measures that it turns out that that we are the hottest if, if by other measures the hottest now in like 10 in something like 10,000 years yeah and the reason i'm sort of hung up on exactly how people define hottest day or blah 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 is because the bad guys can say ah oh, it was hotter than this a million years ago you say the hottest mm -hmm. day ever recorded you know what do you mean you guys are all chicken little right so it's very specific about how hot it is but we are now hotter than we've been for 10,000 years and that 10,000 years essentially covers all of human civilization from, you know, people running around with blue paint on their faces right, yeah. a long, long time ago to now, and we're hotter. So yeah. there you go. Just be careful when you quote these, these know what you're talking about when you say uh, hottest day ever, because, you know, the people will take advantage if you're not specific. But short answer is it's hot, hottest hot. blazes out there. So. Yeah. And even that there was some recent stats of, you know, the water temp in Florida, you know, exceeding 90 degrees. Okay. Yeah. So you can't go refreshingly swimming down there. <laughs> I mean, we complain and, and, about Maine being 45. <laughs> Florida is 90. Excuse me. <laughs> well, it, it's, it's, it's really, it's an interesting thing. It's like you, everyone's had the experience of when you have a bottle of seltzer, right? And you, and it's warm. It's a, you've had it at room temperature. Open it, and all the seltzer fizzes out. Right? right. Psh, it all comes out. Why is that? It's because the, the 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 gas, the carbon dioxide gas in the seltzer, cannot maintain a solution at the temperature of the bottle of water. So when you open the thing up, the pressure all the, the pressure changes. All that same thing is true if you have ninety degree water. The oxygen comes out of the water because the, the oxygen can't be in solution in the water at 90 mm -hmm. degrees sure. and all the fish die. Yeah. So you have these massive fish kills as the water, you get dead zones from hot. Again, yeah. there's a catalog of biblical plagues you can keep going through about how yeah. bad things are going to be. But uh, it's, I guess the question I have is when do the biblical plagues get people to wake up? Right? At what point do people, does it click that, we are the frog in the in the kettle that's slowly warming up. I mean, when yeah. when do we when as a society do we jump out? Yeah, the canary know. in the coal mine supposedly. I mean, yeah. this is the warning, or is it too late for the warning? Yeah, yeah. yeah are we? Yeah. According to some prognosticators, we're we're behind time. Um, on others, at least, you know, there's still time to take action. But there's a subtle form of climate denialism which says, "Oh, it's too late." Don't bother mm -hmm. to do anything, you know, enjoy your life. 
Mm-hmm. And that's that's not where we are. I think that right now we're fighting for every tenth of a degree. But I mean, I, I keep coming back to the, you know, how as climate activists, how do you make the case for climate action when people can see these these things devastating devastating events and still blow it off? Mm-hmm. So say, oh, it didn't happen to me. It can't be real. Are oh, those poor people right. too bad for right. them? But I'm I'm going to be good. Yeah. No. Well, it's not going to happen here, and it's supposedly every hundred years. But they're already now saying that every hundred years, because of the change, maybe actually every thirty-seven or forty years. You know, we're still, I think, on the one hand, fortunate for where we are here in Mass in New England, but we're going to have our challenges as well. And the heat certainly is going to be one. I would think at some point, you know, if we got 10 inches in an hour, yeah, there's going to be some floods around here too. Yeah. 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 We, yeah no one is, it's, it's just a matter of time before things catch up to everybody. Mm-hmm. That's a kind of a downer. I mean, dear well, listener, yeah. sorry to be, sorry to be a buzzkill, but I mean, it's a, it's a great summertime, but man, we, we, and I, I think the, the up, shot is always always comes back to action being the antidote to despair right yes do something yeah. do whatever it is you want to do who you know call your congressman write a poem you know go stand on the street corner with a sign talk about it to your neighbors you feel better when you do something about it mm-hmm. yep and that's where Thank you for at least helping me make sense of climate so we can at least take some action instead of just beating our head against the wall and getting a headache. Ah, such as it is. But, but there were there were some good new there were good things here in Massachusetts these past few weeks. Uh since yeah, the last so let's week's come book. back to that and kind of focus on okay, everything else is happening, we understand that. Yeah, yeah, Bad things yeah, happen, yeah, yeah. we understand that. But oh by the way, let's try and figure out how we can do something here. And the and and it turns out that one of the interesting things that has recently come across the uh, my timeline, as we say nowadays, uh, is that this Massachusetts state government body, right, the Department of Energy Resources, D-O-E-R, which mm-hmm. if you're a climate person, you'll hear that word more and more frequently, D-O-E-R, released a report in which they went, I guess they used GIS, all this magic GIS stuff about mapping. mapping. Yep. And they were able to take every parcel in the state of Massachusetts and assign by and rank it by six criteria, like, does it get enough sunshine? Is it wooded? You know, could you put a solar panel on it? Is there a lot of biodiversity, right? Stuff like that. Is Mm -hmm. it, could it be connected to the grid easily? And they ranked every parcel as to how much solar panels could be put on that parcel, right? And it turns out that there's a huge amount of of places that we could put solar, like 500 gigawatts. Which, trust me, that's a lot of that's a lot of solar panels. That's right? a lot of power. But that but that for the very best, the ranked class A ranking, which means, as I say, you're close to a interconnect. You've got a lot of sunshine. You don't have any uh, snail darters running around in the you know underneath the solar panels from an environmental perspective, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You could put up 52 gigawatts of solar panels on those prime locations without particularly disturbing any natural ecosystems. Mostly and rooftops, that's a good thing. I think, right? I think it's mostly rooftops. And I think that, I mean, 52 gigawatts is more than we're currently contemplating for all the wind. I think we're talking now about 36 
38 gigawatts of wind mm-hmm. offshore. 62 yeah. gigawatts is a whole lot of power. Yep. Right. And um, so that's a good thing. And, and I, the re, we'll put it, we'll put the links in. But what's cool is that you can go to this thing. I have done it. I think my house comes in as, as like a A minus or something. But you put in your address and it will tell you how this thing ranks your address for solar capacity. Mm-hmm. It's just, I mean, it's like an action. It's like if you want to, if you want to feel better, at least you can say, gee, I could put in solar panels. Hey, I got a pretty good place. Maybe I'll think about that in the great sure. by and by of putting in solar panels on my property. And so that's a good thing. It's a good thing the DOER has done it. And come back to how good solar is in a minute. I guess the, the fly in the ointment for me on the DOER uh, report, which is written up by both WGBH and W and the Globe, the fly in the ointment is that they did not include any kind of environmental justice ranking on the sites. And no, so they excluded that kind of financial impact data. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, and if you look at the, so there's this color-coded map of the state in the article, right? You take a look at it, and if I remember correctly, the blue parcels are best for solar. Mm-hmm. And if you look at that, all of the blue parcels tend to be in urban areas, right? And so it's Boston is all blue. Franklin's not very blue. Springfield's blue. Lowell's blue. Down in New Bedford is blue, right? And so you I guess, the, of course, urban areas tend to overlap sometimes with environmental justice communities that have already got a bunch of junk they, right. they don't need, right? And so while I laud the DOER for a good tool to find out where these solar panels could go, we should be talking about environmental justice from the very get-go. Because if you don't, including it later, gets harder and harder and harder. And then at the end, you're building this thing in the middle of you know, some poor guy's backyard, he doesn't want it. And you say, well, you know, uh, we should have talked about the, uh, we should have talked about this at the beginning. Mm-hmm. So now is the time to at least think that, you know, bucolic green communities. Like, well, like, I'm not even sure where Franklin, I have to look, but Franklin has got big, the big solar panel array out near the, uh, on Union Street. We, yes. There are places that, and it's an interesting question is, do you want to put solar panels on a green field? Why would you do that? Yep. As opposed well, to putting it, say, on the top of uh, the Walmart or something. Sure. Right. And yeah, I can. I can see putting it up on a roof, um, especially in one of the many cities that you listed. The roofs in the cities that makes a whole lot of sense um, because of multiple connection capabilities. You're maximizing space. It's out of the sight, out of mind. Many of the buildings are taller anyway, so you're not going to see it. Not going to be any impact there. Um, and oh, by the way, there may be a, an economic justice piece because they are city, and that's kind of what their environment is. There's a proposal for part of Maplegate to get converted to a uh, solar farm currently really? going really? through the planning process. Um, but yeah, the ones you referenced, there were two that the Abbey has up off Union up at the end uh the Mount St. Mary's Abbey, I think, or whatever the Abbey is. I forget the name. I'll have to fix it for the recording. Um, but the nuns have it. And that effectively, we were one of the purchases of their power output. So Franklin benefits from that green electricity, a la solar. That's one of our primary sources of electricity that the town uses um, mm-hmm. from that perspective. As you've heard and we've discussed, we have municipal aggregation, which a contract was bid which we got 
what 10.75 kilowatt hour uh rate for the prior years which expires in october and jamie announced during one of the budget sessions the new rate i think is going to be 15 cents so clearly still less than what national grid had come out with and eversource at 34 35 something for the winter Mm -hmm. um theirs may still be a little bit in that neighborhood we don't know but at least ours going forward for the next three years will be 15. yes it's more than 10.75 but in the market space it's still going to be lower than what we anticipate others are going to be interesting well it just there were two points i thought it would be interesting to make regarding things like the solar panels near the abbey on union street mm -hmm. so this is a big used to be like a big field you could yeah, graze were, your, yep, your horses part in of it farming farmland yeah part of farmland so there's 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 two different directions one is that down on in wareham on cape cod somebody wanted to put solar panels into what used to be a cranberry bog in order to they would have to scrape up all the topsoil and put the and people opposed it right he says why destroy this relatively working uh ecosystem and sure. i kind of hear that right flip side is our different idea is this concept that i've seen pop up more and more called agrovoltaics where it turns out that solar panels are very compatible with certain crops and animals that is to say if you put solar panels on a field you can have butterflies and bumblebees underneath them oh happy, yes happy 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 sure. right? and in fact there are some crops I forget the, the specific ones but that can tolerate the shade and the the challenge is to put the voltaics kind of on a pv things on a like a 10 foot tall stand which increases the cost right so if all your full photovoltaics are up 10 feet but now the cows can walk underneath it and graze and they get a little sure. shade and they yeah. in the hot sun right so yeah. the compatibility of photovoltaics with working farmland is a subject that is growing and i think really uh makes your ha heart happy right the idea that we can take care of the butterflies and the bumblebees uh, mm -hmm. with and generate solar power at the same time yeah yeah that makes sense yep yeah because clearly there's obviously a cost benefit but i think the long-term benefits would be beneficial um to my mind but yeah i'd let the experts do some of the numbers on that for sure right right well i guess the the, the last thing about solar panels to note is that we're going to talk more about ISO in a minute. ISO, in the independent system operator of New England, ISO New England, are the guys that basically operate the grid for the six New England states because we're so interconnected, right? No mm -hmm. one state runs the grid. ISO New England runs the grid. For various reasons, ISO New England is distinct from ISO New York, which is a separate organization Correct. that runs New York because New York's pretty big, right? Curiously enough, there's no there's no extension cable, so to speak, between ISO New England and ISO New York. There's no way to transfer power back and forth. And this I just can't really exactly, send you a few watts. And then it's like, and then it turns out New Jersey, which of course is hard by it. New York and part of the same, they are part of yet another uh organization i think it's called pjm which is the midwestern equivalent of iso new york and iso new england anyway long and short of it iso new york iso new england and new jersey have gone to the federal government to ask for help 
in building what are called interconnections so that ISO New York can feed power into ISO New England and vice versa mm-hmm. in case. So if there's an emergency in ISO New England, you get power from ISO New York and vice versa. Yeah. I mean, it's so it's such a crazy idea that it just might make sense, right? <laughs> it probably should have been done a long time ago. But the idea of this interconnections is a big deal in the world of electric grids. And this is a first step. And the reason it's important is because as we continue to electrify everything, our vulnerability as a society to electrical blackouts gets bigger and bigger, right? If your car is electric and your induction stove is electric, everything's electric and the power goes out, you're in deep doo-doo, right? Mm -hmm. So you have to have reliability go hand in hand. And this kind of interconnection is important. And so that's a good thing. And then the last sort of dovetailing of, of ideas here is that we talked recently, or there's a report recent uh, about what's called a backbone for wind, offshore wind. So now here's, here's the idea that from Massachusetts is going to build a bunch of wind turbines. New York is building wind turbines off, off Long Island. New Jersey wants to build wind turbines off New Jersey. And basically up and down the East Coast, there's a... Lots of people think about putting wind turbines off in the water. So there's this idea that says what really ought to happen is that all of these separate wind turbine, wind farms are connected by what's called a backbone cable, a big cable that runs from wind farm to wind farm. And then that power is brought on shore at a few selected places. So it's cheaper, you know, it's cleaner to do, et cetera, et cetera, but also gives you more reliability because now if something happens in New England, maybe there's power off New Jersey that could be brought in and we can get to switch this stuff around at low cost. So there's lots of really exciting ideas about how to build the sort of clean electrical future that we need to think about. And of course, it's all very nerdy and sort of, uh, you know, people's eyes roll back on their head when you talk about this stuff too much. But the electrical grid is an interesting thing because it's very much important to our lives. Well, and I think given respectfully, it developed over time. Uh, There probably wasn't, quote, the master plan, even back in those days, the master plan was more limited in scope. And because ISO is also part of a regulatory agency, the regulations, a la Congress or whoever, said this is your place to play. (laughs) And there was limitations on it. So now that people are starting to say, "Um, oh, but we need to do this, Some of those regulations are going to have to also change to allow those kinds of connections, which, yeah, they make a whole lot of sense. Let's trade when we need to. Obviously, not every time, but at some point in time, somebody's going to need to. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting, it's, it's, I think, Senator Markey from our fair state, Senator Mm -hmm. Markey, climate champion, has a bill somewhere in the Senate, right? Probably languishing in some committee somewhere, but Mm -hmm. that bill would explicitly put climate concerns and clean energy onto the mandate of the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission and by implication all of these ISO New England, ISO New York, that they in addition to just being cheap and reliable, they also have to be clean. Right. And those things that's a good thing. And that to your point, I mean, as we go forward, something's got to give, right? These regulations that grew up in a different world need to change to accommodate the new world that we're in. Right. 
Yeah, because I think we touched upon that because ISO was not allowing some of the wind power because it was, quote, too cheap and thereby in their calculation didn't fit into the model. And it's like, wait a minute, it's too cheap for them? <laughs> Come on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, there's lots of arcane stuff associated with the grid, but it matters to us. And I know we had talked with our rep, Roy, Representative Jeff Roy, uh, in one of our prior episodes, and he had had a chance to go visit a nuclear plant. And nuclear is still, clearly it's in the mix. Um, the question is how long we keep it in, or at some point does that other modular concept really become viable? Uh, that's, at this point, I'm not sure where that should land. Uh when you talk yeah, I mean, green, okay, it's not fossil fuel, but the life cycle of uh, a, a neutron is a little bit longer and more dangerous than I think some of us would want to play with. So, yeah, I mean, healthy it's, discussion. It's, it's a good discussion, and I think it's a legitimate discussion because there's a, a distinction we need to make between existing nuclear power plants and proposed nuclear power plants. Correct. I think at this point, no one's talking about building new power plants like uh, a Pilgrim power plant in Plymouth or anything, right? Mm -hmm. People are talking about things called small nuclear reactors, which basically are about the size of a container. You know, the shipping containers that you're well familiar with. Yeah. It's that size. I'm extremely skeptical for various reasons that we, that, are, that we don't need to go into right now. But small nuclear is another scam, right? That, uh, to make a lot of money for the people who are technically adept. But there are nuclear plants that are running, right? And you can say that, and I agree with you, that the, the radioactive waste is damaging, but to the extent that they're running, they're not making any carbon dioxide. And if you shut that nuclear power plant down, you're gonna to have to probably fight about building a gas-fired natural gas plant to replace it, mm -hmm. right? And, and right. so why would you do that? On the other hand, there is this moral quandary about why would we continue to let a nuclear power plant run generating this toxic waste that we're going to have to deal with for 10,000 years, another 10,000 years? It's a tough one. And I think that it bears a lot of discussion. Uh, in my humble opinion, we don't want small nuclear reactor. We certainly don't want new nuclear reactors because they're just not going to be there in the timeline for us for what we need. So, mm -hmm. One of the things that I found extremely uh entertaining was an article you came up with steve on the uh the small wind turbines yes what, what did you see in that well it was interesting because i mean most folks have traveled some more extensive than others but you kind of have also especially even in new england you have this iconic image of a farm you know maybe with a silo and the red barn and periodically there was also kind of a wind turbine to provide in many cases, it seems to have been more kind of pumping power, et cetera. But these days, that technology could create electrical power and that kind of concept. So potentially each home could have their little wind turbine. And again, some locations, maybe they'll come up with a DOER or come up with another wind map in terms of which wind locations are better than others. Um, if you're down in the valley, maybe not so good. If you're up on the hill, maybe better. I'll do all that kind of analysis. But the wind certainly is here, yeah. Um, yeah. sometimes more than others, and that might be an option. 
Yeah, I think the that sort of wind turbine you see in the movies with the like a lot of slats, yeah. many slats, and the things yep, yep. whirring away, pumping water out of the well. Yeah, I mean the the wind turbines most efficiently want to be big, right? The bigger you can make the wind turbine, the better. And why mm-hmm. is that? I mean, there's lots of reasons for it, but the a wind turbine, if you think theoretically, is basically the blades of the wind turbine define a circle. And you can imagine that there's this kind of this long tube of air, the same diameter as that circle that's rushing towards the wind turbine, right? Mm-hmm. And the energy that the wind turbine can extract is the amount of energy in that air, right? And so it makes sense that if the, if the wind turbine blade is bigger, there's, you know, there's a bigger tube of air coming and there's more energy more. to, yeah. to, you can catch more. And it's really interesting. I mean, I read something about it years ago, but I mean, there's a theoretical maximum that you can get about 30% of the energy that's current, that's in that wind. You can, you can extract about 30% of that into electricity and you say, well, why is there a limit? Well, in the perfect case where the wind turbine took 100% of the energy out of the wind, the air would stop on the other side of the wind turbine. And just be sitting there. So the incoming air would have no place to go, right? So you kind of have to have the wind has to, you know, your optimum is to have the wind keep going and vacate the behind the wind turbine so the new wind can come in. Very interesting stuff. Long and short of it, a small wind turbine that you might put on your house probably can't define a very big tube of air, right? So it can't really get much energy. And they tend to be, in the past, they tend to break down. They're kind of noisy. Not everybody wants to be next door to uh, this uh, a thing on the roof of their neighbor, right? But there's certainly, it apparently, with new materials and whatnot, there are places where, like, in, like you say, solar panels and farms, you know, agrovoltaics, you could put a small wind turbine up there to power the house. It's comparable to the solar panels. And mm-hmm. what's nice is the wind blows at night. So you get the power at night that your solar panels can't produce. So yeah. I thought, and I, I guess there's enough money now behind it to try and have something of a resurgence. And the, if the technology can keep up, I, mean, I don't think you're going to have a wind turbine on your house, right? I keep thinking, sometimes you see sailing boats with a little wind turbine in the back. Right? Mm-hmm. That's just barely enough to keep the radio going, right? right. There's not, right. That's not really any power. But I think that there are settings where a small wind turbine would be sort of analogous to solar panels. And that's a great idea. Mm-hmm. I mean, however, well, it's interesting. I was also putting the connection together because you mentioned, I think it was 30% would be about the max for the wind to generate the electricity. Isn't it even in the solar, they're actually just now starting to get into the 30, 32% efficiency, which is, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's really interesting stuff. Yeah. There's, I'm not sure I can reproduce the exact physics of it, but it's like, there's only a certain wavelength of the light. So, the light that comes in is a prism, right? There's, it goes from red to blue, and you see all the all the colors, the yellows in the middle. Well, the solar photovoltaics are only sensitive to a certain color in there, so maybe they're only sensitive to all to the yellow, right? And yeah. and that's a piece of the range, not a piece the of thing. the range, right? And what's happened recently, 
since you mentioned it, I'll go down one more path. There's this material called petrovaskite, I think it's called. It's a mineral, and it is sensitive to a different – it's like the petrovaskite's sensitive to the blue, and the silicon photovoltaics sensitive to the yellow – and so they kind of overlay them and they can collect more power out of the ah. out of the sun, right? But yep. still in all, it's still only about 30% of the sunshine, that, which is why, to my mind, if you have a – and I don't know why they haven't done this yet, so you can patent it if you want. But the solar panel should be combined with a hot water heater because two-thirds of the sunshine could go into your hot water. Right, and then one third the makes the, makes the electricity, and yeah, the other two thirds of the heat just warm up your water as a as a precursor to going into your your home. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you're you're tapping literally into that, and maybe not fully getting all the benefits of hot water, but you get warmer water before you actually formally heat it. You're still making right. the system right. overall, the system being the key piece, much more efficient. And what's what's I mean, just to the last step on that is that if you were to cool your solar panels, they run better. Right? If they sit on your roof on a hot day, sure. they get hotter and hotter, they begin to be less slightly less efficient. Mm -hmm. And so if you can cool them by heating your water in your house, it's a win win. Yes, because so now the water going through is actually being diverted. The heat within the water is being diverted. <laughs> wow. Carried away. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Interesting concepts. Yeah. So I think one of the things we can do as we kind of close up, because there was a bunch of articles, and we'll include those in the show notes, but our prior episode, not a formally officially as part of the episode itself, because it was video based, <laughs> it didn't officially get out into the podcast, but it is available, was this conversation we had with Dave Rittenhouse talking about Energize Franklin. And these are kind of the steps that we talked about to go back in the beginning that the individual actions can be an antidote to the despair that you know the world's ending it's going to be terrible individual actions can come together and at least we can do something so we'll put a link into the video it's about 45 minutes or so it walks through some screenshots of various uh, opportunities you can take. We've talked of mass save, getting an energy audit. Um, he started getting testimonials from various people who have done solar installations. Right, and what Energize Mass is, is it's a website, right? So it's a website that you can kind of join, get an account in. And once you're in the website, you can look at what other people have done uh, have done in Franklin, and there are suggestions of things you can do in Franklin. Excuse me, new ideas of stuff you can do, and then you can basically it's almost like a competition. You can you can get points for doing some of these things and see what your neighbors are doing, and it's a very good way to at least learn about the options of what you can do and kind of connect with other people. In, in Franklin that are doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. So it's a great website to go take a look at. And yeah, Dave was kind enough to walk us through on video and uh, and it's there. You can you can check it out, right? Yeah. As they say. Absolutely. And potentially explore one of those options, whether it's an electric vehicle, even greeting eating a uh, vegan burger instead of a uh, beef burger. <laughs> Yeah. And it just, just, I mean, some of the steps are so simple. I would emphasize that it's like eating one, one less meat meal a week 
is a significant step, right? You don't have to eat vegan burgers all the time, right? You just say once a week, I'm going to have a, a, I'm not going to have that piece of meat that I would have had. Mm -hmm. That's a big deal. It really adds up fast. So, yeah. And in these days of terrible headlines, at least we're trying to do something. <laughs> and I thank you for helping me make sense of climate as we tag, take this journey together. And for the listeners, quick reminder as well, we do this because Franklin matters. We are now producing this in collaboration with Franklin TV and Franklin Public Radio. This podcast is my public service effort for Franklin, but we can't do it alone. We can always use your help. How can you help? If you can use the information that you find here, please tell your friends and neighbors. If you don't like something here, please let me know. Through this feedback loop, we can continue to make improvements. And I thank you for listening. For additional information, please visit franklinmatters.org. If you have questions or comments, you can reach me directly at suresteve at gmail.com. The music for the intro and exit was provided by Michael Clark and the group East of Shirley. The piece is titled Ernesto Manana, copyright Michael Clark and Tintype Tunes in 2008, and used with their permission. I hope you enjoy. By the way, you can also subscribe and listen to Franklin Matters Radio on your favorite podcast app. Search in podcasts for Franklin Matters.